What's up ninjas and ninjas? Welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm head ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. Exposure Ninja, like this podcast, is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website. That's it, building your business online. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Holly Pither from Tribe PR. Now Holly's coming to the show to talk about how you can build a tribe around your business. There are certain companies out there, and we talk about some specific examples that have a very clear identity and that tends to mean that they are really attractive to some people. Basically, they make people fall in love with them. And then there are other companies that are just kind of meh and they exist but no one really gets passionate enough to be an advocate of those companies so in this episode we talk about how to make yourself one of the former instead of one of these boring meh companies basically how to make people fall in love with your business now there's loads of nuance to this not only do you have to come up with your identity but you also have to find a way of embedding it and making sure that it's consistent across everything that you do so all of the ads all of the communications that you have both externally and internally. When any of your people talk, they need to be talking the same language. So we also talk about the kind of operational day-to-day of actually managing this stuff to make sure that it happens because it's all really important if you're going to be seen as consistent in the eyes of your customers. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Don't forget if you want some help with your digital marketing, then you can go to ExposureNinja.com and request a free website and marketing review. This thing is freaking awesome. Don't let the price tag fool you just because it's free doesn't mean it's not brilliant because it is absolutely brilliant what will happen is we'll ask you a few questions about your business and then one of our team will take a look at your website your digital marketing and also your competitors and they'll put together a video for you showing you how you can improve the volume of leads and sales that you get through your website if you've had a free review from another company before this ain't nothing like that this is genuinely amazing and you can go onto google or facebook and read the reviews from people who've had them so go to exposureninja.com do that today and I look forward to seeing you soon. Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So as you know, in this podcast, we go behind the scenes of a particular marketing strategy that you've used to grow businesses. We'll find out what you do, how well it works and what you've learned. Ready to lift the curtain? Definitely. Awesome. So for those who don't know you, um, what is Tribe PR? And perhaps a fairly obvious question, but how do you guys make money? Okay, well, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, Tribe PR, well, we're an independent communications agency. Uh, We specialize in earned media, um, but that kind of branches us out into social and owned media as well. And generally help clients of all sizes um, build brand advocacy. And that's across both B2B and B2C. Awesome. So oh, today, how do I make money? Good question. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I wouldn't be here, would I? Uh, so, how do we make money? Okay. Well, we generally work in partnership with those um, with those marketing managers or owner managed businesses, and help them do everything from kind of profile raising, helping them with their thought leadership, um, getting them out into the media, drafting copy for their websites, uh, running their social media platforms for them. Um, and kind of like a whole breadth of uh, uh, of marketing uh, strategies. And I think quite often I tend to find myself doing a lot more than just earned media. Um, you tend to find yourself as a bit of an agony aunt as well to your clients. And I really like that. It's a good place to be. For sure. So we're going to be talking today about 
building a tribe and I think it's probably worth us going back to the start because um, I know that you're a big fan of building a tribe around a company as opposed to just having, you know, like social media followers or, or something like that. Um, what is a tribe? And are there any examples of companies that viewers and listeners might know that you think they've absolutely nailed this? They've got a really mm. strong, loyal tribe. Okay, so don't think African tribe here. I'm thinking there's quite a different type of tribe that we're talking about. And in this situation, I'm talking about, uh, I suppose, people who join a company or, or join a brand, follow it, and then actively talk about it. And I think that's what makes a company a bit more of a tribe. Mm. So rather than just creating press headlines or being known in the media, this is a company that people are talking about and then kind of people are talking about on their behalf and telling their stories for them. And I think that's what makes uh, a company tribe worthy. There's plenty of examples um, out there of, of companies like that. Think of things like Innocence Smoothies, classic example. Think of Harley Davidson, you know, very much a, a kind of tribal mentality in that mm. they know exactly what they stand for. They are not, they know, they know who are part of that tra- tribe um, and they don't kind of, uh, open that up to everyone. Those are really good examples of, of tribal-based marketing companies. Um, and I think more and more companies are becoming like that as well because mm. um, what what maybe used to be more of a B2C kind of uh, way of doing things, now even B2B brands are trying to be a bit more tribal or create movements in their approach. And I think that's really nice. So these, these are brands who pe- people don't just buy them, people join them. And I think that's a really different type of uh, way of working. Yeah, I love that. It feels like, um, for examples like Innocent and Harley Davidson, they just, they have such a clear identity Mm -hmm. that, you know, you could see a, you could see a tiny little sticker and you'd know that that was from an Innocent product. And that's not just the branding, is it? That's that's the, the the business's identity like yeah i guess we'll, we'll we'll talk about how to how to build that but how how would a business know how do they know if they've got a tribe already okay well i suppose i think what this comes down to is understanding the difference between brand loyalty and brand advocacy and i think right. as marketeers or anyone who works in uh, in brand building we quite often get these two terms a bit mixed up so in my opinion um a, someone who is loyal to your brand is someone who might buy your pr- products or your services they'll probably return to you again they're they're a decent enough customer but they're quite passive mm. in their approach whereas a brand advocate on the other hand is someone who does all those great things they buy from you they buy from you again they're repeat customers but they go out and they tell your story for for you and you know as a marketeer like there's that's your dream, isn't it? Someone else is telling your story for you. You're not having to spend quite so much money on getting the story out there because everyone's telling it for you. So um, I think that's the that's the difference is understanding um, how to make those brand loyalists into brand advocates. And if you can do that, you're hot, you know you're pretty much there, aren't you, with a, creating that kind of tribe movement. So just to play devil's advocate, um, yeah. There's a listener out there. I, I can sense them. And they sell um, uh, they sell a widget. They sell something like this. 
Yeah. And they're thinking, well, Harley Davidson. Harley Davidson makes fun things. Innocent Smoothies makes delicious things. I make boring things. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, are, are there two groups of businesses, brands that can build a tribe and then brands that it's just never going to work for because they're too boring? Or is this something that everyone can do? Well, look, I have worked in B2B, boring to boring, for <laughs> great many years now. And um, I, I have never struggled with this. I think right. it's not necessarily, you know, I, I don't think it's about a brand being the biggest brand out there. You know, you don't have to be a Harley Davidson, but you have to have a purpose behind what you do. Mm. So, frankly, if you're just creating widgets to sell them and build your bottom line and do nothing else, then you're probably not going to do that. You're probably not a tribal business. However, if you're um, a brand creating widgets to better a whatever it might be, you know, the human existence or how people work or uh, provide service excellence of some variety and you're not just looking at building the bottom line, you're not just looking at profit, you've got some kind of purpose behind it and as a result you're bringing people together, then Mm. yeah, I think you can. So it's not about those massive brands. And in fact, you know, there are no, I don't have any of those massive brands on my book. I don't work for the likes of Innocent or Harley. I wish I did. Um, But actually I work for much smaller brands who are all trying to do something a little bit different. Mm. So some of the brands I work with, for instance, are uh, sustainable fashion brands where they provide a uh, kind of uh, women's wear rental marketplace. So they're trying to can fast fashion, basically. So instead of buying a new product or a new item of clothing every week, you're actually swapping clothes online. Things like that. This is a small brand. It's really new, but it's really innovative. And they're Mm. trying to do something a little bit different. Likewise, another brand that's in the carbon offsetting space, um, where they're trying to get everyone to take responsibility for their carbon emissions. Again, they're not a charity. They're not a massive brand but they are trying to do something really quite exciting Mm. and it's those brands i think that can really stand out it's interesting isn't it there's from from my experience there's always someone at least someone in the company and it's usually someone in sales who is really passionate and has the they, they have the story of the business down and sometimes the owner can have started it from quite a cynical place or just an you know seen a pure business opportunity but they'll often be an advocate inside the company and they may have drifted into the sale a sales type role who mm. who kind of gets that stuff and understands the bigger picture and understands the story and about the impact that the business has because i guess every business has a positive impact otherwise they wouldn't be in business yeah yeah and i've worked i've worked in pr for a number of years and i think i got a bit disenfranchised i think with those Mm. bigger brands or any kind of company who are just kind of doing brand building for brand building sake it was just a line line item on their marketing Mm. and they knew they had to do it but they didn't really know why it's those businesses that do have that kind of person who really cares about what they're trying to do they're really passionate that you want to work with because Mm. you know that you're doing something a little bit different you're not just another bit of marketing spend you're not just doing pr for pr sake to get an amazing headline there's a really good reason why if that headline does go out there that and people are going to read it that that's actually going to initiate some kind of positive change and um, yeah. so yeah that's that's exactly the kind of business that i like to work with anyway okay so going from the start then someone's listening and they're feeling a bit uncomfortable because they realize that they're not really differentiating themselves and they're just kind of 
in amongst it all. What's the first thing that they need to do to start this process of building a tribe or becoming tribe worthy to start with, I guess? All right. Um, first, it's probably understanding their purpose and making sure that they do have a purpose behind it that we've kind of talked about that already but mm. just to kind of clarify that that doesn't need to be you don't need to be a charitable organization to have that purpose and you can you don't have to um uh you can easily balance profit with purpose as well mm. i think you know you see that quite a lot lot in the news agenda at the moment how to balance profit with purpose and i think that company needs to know how to do that as well um, so once they've kind of understood that purpose, they need to really then get down to the nitty gritty of what they stand for. So it is that person that you were talking about previously who really understands the business, understands what they're trying to do and probably spend a bit of time up front working what, out what their ethos is, what their brand message is, you know, do a bit of brand archetype work to really get to the bottom of who they are and what they stand for. Because, you know, the money that you put in at the offset there is probably going to pay uh, dividends further down the line mm. and then most importantly then communicate that to the rest of the team because all too often I see brands of all sizes spending a lot of money on brand building and brand messaging where they've got like five key people you know maybe board members in that room they go yeah we know exactly what we stand for and then they forget to kind of tell the rest of the team marketing's the last to hear about it the agencies <laughs> never hear about it you know it's, if you know what you stand for make sure that everyone then lives and breathes that. And that is everything from all your marketing collaterals to how you talk about yourself, to LinkedIn profiles and bios, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely everything that goes out on a on a corporate point of view needs to sing from that same hymn sheet. It can feel scary to put a pin in it and say, right, that's that's what we're gonna stand for that's us mm. um how final is that decision is this something that you see kind of evolving over time anyway so it's less risky than it feels to put that first stake in the ground yeah i don't think i mean i can't think of many brands who would have sat in that first ever session and gone this is exactly who we are and we're always going to be this i'm sure you know innocent harley davidson coca-cola they're all brands that have evolved over time we've seen mm. it we've kind of lived and breathed it with them which has been kind of nice you know that's that's exactly what tribal is isn't it you know yeah. as a consumer of those brands you feel part of it and the best brands are those ones who are going to bring you on that journey with them so in any way that you can like bring your customer with you whether it's knitting those little hats for innocent or choosing the next coca-cola color bottle or whatever it might be like bringing your customers on that journey is awesome too but um i think there is one important thing to note on this is that it will evolve over time, but be really confident from the beginning that you, it's okay not to be everything to everyone. Mm. Some of the best brands kind of say what they stand for and they don't make any apologies about that. And some of the best brands are quite exclusive. Um, uh, you know, think again, think Harley Davidson, they're a classic example of that. That's okay. Don't try and be everything to everyone because the brands that do it very often get a bit muddled I think in their communications mm. anyway yeah there's a I mean it's not like they're intentionally being offensive to people that aren't their audience are there there's a there's a fine line between that but they're being very unapologetic about the group that they are going after yeah yeah I mean if I look at the brands that I work with and I think of brands who are that 
you know, in the climate space that I work with, they know that there are certain people they probably will never kind of turn when mm. it comes to things like fast fashion. There are certain people who will always just go out and buy a new piece of clothing. This brand is never going to appeal to them. So there's no point in trying to. It would be nice to try and change the, the agenda, and that's what they're trying to do. But there's certain people that they know that they'll probably never, never quite reach and never mm. quite touch. So say a brand has worked on this stuff and they've got an idea for these, um, the, these principles, these values that they, that they stand for and that they own. What's the best way you know to make sure that the marketing stuff that goes out is consistent with that, the team yeah. is consistent? Should this be like one central document that everyone reads from? Or like, how do you embed this stuff? I mean, there's loads of different ways, aren't there? There's things like people create playbooks and brand Bibles and things like that. But I think all too often they just don't get read. They get put on a Google Drive somewhere, don't they? And then people forget to look at them. Um, and it might be like a, a new joiner who has a look at it once and then they never look at it again. But those, you know, those brand messages and that ethos needs to be played back to the team on a consistent, on a on a regular basis, doesn't it? And it be, needs to be consistent across all their all their communications across all of their channels. Um, you know, I think the only way to do it is just a constant reminder and ongoing team meetings where they talk about what they stand for and remind themselves. Um, but one one good way of doing it, I suppose, is to um, to I suppose create copy and then kind of wring it dry across a lot of different communications channels. So, okay, this is another thing I see brands particularly corporate brands, the B2B brands doing quite a lot is they create this lovely piece of content. It might be like a research report, lovely white paper, and then they kind of use it once. It's all on message. It's spot on in terms of branding. And then they just never use it again. It kind of put, gets put in that proverbial drawer and no one ever sees it again. And if they could then take that big piece of content and uh, cut it up into tweets, into LinkedIn posts, into blogs, into reactive comments to the media, whatever it might be, you know that you've got that kind of consistent copy going out across all the different channels. And that is as much for internal as it is external as well, because if you don't keep reminding internally your team what you stand for in the form of you know little updates of this is what we're working on, they're not gonna learn it either. Hmm. Uh, so I think you know external marketing needs to work really really closely with your internal team as well hmm. yeah absolutely there's I, I was just thinking when you said the google drive I was just thinking how many google drives and dropboxes have a file that was last updated in 2016 called brand guidelines that no one's ever looked at since and it's <laughs> probably a few isn't there <laughs> yeah definitely and I just see I mean I see so many come I so as part of what I do I run um, LinkedIn training as well for um, lots, uh, lots of my companies that I work with and um, I get like board directors in a room and they all uh, describe their company differently on LinkedIn all of them they've all got a completely different about us copy and I think that's just testament isn't it to it mm. like, even from a from a broad a, a boardroom point of view they're all saying something different about the company so you need to have that consistent copy that goes across all your different channels and um, so that everyone knows exactly what you stand for. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. And I guess how you describe yourself on LinkedIn would be all kind of corporate wordy by default. And then how you describe yourself when you meet someone who's a potential client would actually be totally different. So even one person would describe themselves 
completely different in different situations and is that because they don't they don't have that clear vision that's been kind of handed down to them or that has been agreed amongst the team that's because they're making it up from scratch every time probably yeah, yeah. i mean partly because they forget their elevator pitch don't they and they try and come up with something different each time but i would challenge you on that and say um corporate you know copy on linkedin we really need to get away from that horrible corporate coffee on LinkedIn. And yeah. this is why I actively try and encourage people through the LinkedIn training that I do. People by people on LinkedIn, and you need to make sure that you're much more human in your approach. Mm. So yes, you can have the corporate copy and you should, you know, the about us bit will obviously be about the company. But um, I try and encourage people to move that third copy, that third um the third uh, person, third person yeah, yeah. into first person just to make it a bit more human like just seems it just it seems so kind of four, four years ago and yeah. um yeah we're just in a different era now and i do think we just need to be a bit more human in our in our approach yeah completely agree we have exactly the same challenge with website copy you go on a a, a site particularly if there have been multiple decision makers in the build process and the company's slightly larger and you look at the home page and sometimes it can take a couple of minutes to figure out what the business actually does because, you know, we're thought leaders in the ex in innovations, but you're just like, what, what, yeah. like, <laughs> the visitors got a particular set of keywords in their head, which they're looking for. And they go on the page, they can't see any of that. It just reads like this kind of brochure thing and the conversion rates, terrible bounce rates, huge. You just think, wait, you've tried to, you're coming at this from completely the wrong angle. It's coming at it from what do you know? How how do we want to be rather than what does the customer want to see or what what's yeah. actually going to mean something to that customer? Well, that's it, isn't it? And that is the biggest thing. You know, we haven't really talked about it very much, but it's one of the biggest things when it comes to kind of a tribe worthy company is that they understand that they're talking for their customer or their audience, yeah, and they're not talking about how great they are you know that copy so you get that piece of copy that's the website copy or the blog copy or whatever it might be and just completely flip it on its head so everything that they're saying about them is actually you know don't put them as the hero of that journey put your mm. customer as the hero and completely change that copy to make sure that it, they are going to want to read it because who wants to read about the fact that you've just hired a new person oh. or the fact that you've won an award like it's just not interesting yeah yeah yeah, totally, totally. So in this process of building these these values and, and building this kind of identity, um, how do we make sure that we're building something which is actually going to be attractive to people and that we're not just building something that we think might be a nice idea? Like how did Innocent know that being cute and funny and slightly quirky that must have felt like a risk to someone in the company yeah. how did they know that that was going to resonate and wasn't just going to appear as you know the dreaded unprofessional yeah. well i guess you know you've got to take a risk on all these things haven't yeah. you but what they did which is just what we've talked about is they put their customer on their audience as the hero of that story mm. and they're talking directly to a human and if you can do that, you're part of the way there because there are just so many brands out there that are just talking about themselves. Their newsletters are focused on how great they are. Their blogs are focused on how great they are. <laughs> they're just, they're not talking about what the customer wants to hear. Mm. Uh, so I think that is got to be part of the the way there. But you know, you're gonna take a risk. If, you, if you're gonna do something like Innocent did, it, it is a risk but it's massively paid off and they just knew what they stood for and they they've carried on down that route. 
I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? There, there are going to be people who who react strongly against innocent. They don't like it for whatever mm. reason, and they now they can express it directly to innocent social channels. So, if innocent has kind of picked an identity which doesn't suit, as soon as they start getting that criticism on social, they're going to buckle because they're going to second guess and think, oh, do you know what? Maybe we've been maybe we've been a bit wrong here or maybe we've been hasty. Whereas if it's something that they actually believe in, they'll have a lot more resilience when that inevitable criticism comes in to say, yeah, do you know what? They might not like it, but we feel really strongly that this is who we are and these are the values that we represent. So enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, you're about to put two, two fingers up there, weren't you? Yeah, well, well, they were, but they were together, so it's technically not swearing. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I'm sorry to interrupt your listening or viewing experience, but I'm really not sorry. If you haven't checked out how to get to the top of Google, the 2020 edition, this is one of our best selling books. And it's all about how to get your website or any website to the top of Google in 2020. You can get it on Amazon or you can listen to it on Audible. So just search for how to get to the top of Google 2020 and you'll find it and you will love it. If you don't love it, then you can email me, tim at ExposureNinja.com, and I will personally refund you every penny that you paid for it. Can't say fairer than that. Okay, um, who should be in charge of this? In a small or medium-sized company where you've got, maybe you've got the business owner, you've got the marketing manager, you might have some people on the marketing team. Mm. Who's responsibility is this stuff to kind of be guardian of it to make sure that anything that goes out of the door is on brand well i guess when you say that that implies yeah there is a marketing department i mean certainly some of the brands that i work with i'll work with an owner managed business so yeah. in that case there isn't anyone there to to take responsibility of it aside from the you know the the ceo or the md mm. i think you know it has to, the responsibility has to lie with marketing but it also has to rely on the senior people as well that they're also singing off that same hymn sheet so mm. if they're going into a sales pitch or a new biz meeting and they're you know they're not talking the same story as marketing then you've got a bit of a problem um but certainly from a, a consistency point of view and making sure all that copy and everything that you're doing is on brand it's got to be marketing who are double checking it mm. and how does someone know if this stuff is working? So particularly for a small business, when they take this leap and they put some conscious effort into building their identity and building their values and they start talking in, in this consistent way, what sort of feedback should they be looking for to say, yeah, you're on the right channel, keep going with this? Um. I guess there's a, a number of things there, isn't there? There's probably mm. um, people, most importantly, people are talking about them and mm. telling their story in the same way. Um, and that they're starting, I suppose that they're starting to be involved in conversations rather than kind of interrupting those conversations. That's quite important. So it feels like it's really natural. Mm. Um, that's, a, you know, if you've got people talking about you, you know you're in a good place in a good way. Um, and then all the usual things, you know, all of your, you stand, I'm tracking all those standard marketing tactics to know that the, the things that we're working on is, is doing well. And yeah. particularly from an earned media point of view, I'm tracking where we're covered and 
domain authority of the website that we're working on and all those good things, you know, they're always going to be looked at. But I guess most of, most of all, it's like people are starting to have conversations about you and starting to to talk about you um, in a really good way. So I guess social listening is quite important there because that's stuff that you can, you know, you can just head over straight onto Twitter now and see what sort of people are talking about you and see if the language that they're using is the way, the way that you would talk. And if it is, then I yeah. guess you've got some resonance there. Yeah, and it might not just be talking about that brand really either. It might just be talking about that topic as well. I think that's quite important. Mm. You know, you start it, certainly some of the per more purposeful businesses, they're starting a trend towards a topic rather than talking always about them. Um, so they're all in a movement together. And I think that's really nice as well. So a lot of the the clients um, that I work with, they may, they're may they probably not necessarily, of course, they're competing against other businesses, but ultimately they just want general awareness to be bigger of particular trends. Right. And I think things like that are quite important as well. So I work for a co-work and nursery space where we're talking all about um, we're trying to get rid of the parenthood penalty and try and get more parents mm. back to work. And success for them, obviously, is column inches and everything else and to see their name in lights. But at the same time, it's to see other people talking about the parenthood penalty and how we can kind of get rid of that. Mm. You know what I mean, because they're trying to create that movement of bringing people together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, so was that term something that they kind of coined and that, that kind of hook that they created? Parenthood penalty? Yeah. No, I mean, it's a, it's a phrase that's known out there. Okay. Um, it's not something that they necessarily, uh, they came up with, but it's certainly something that they're using an awful lot and that people have started using more. Mm. And, you know, the moment you say it to an editor, their ears kind of prick up and go, okay, what, you know, what's this about? It's a nice bit of alliteration, isn't it? For, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I've been fascinated recently by um, particularly populist politicians that, I mean, the Brexit campaign was a perfect example of a, a, a very complex topic, which was, um, which was pitched to the electorate in a very, um, in a very straightforward and, and in some ways crude way you know, where there would be certain issues which are simplified down to a very, you know, massive, massively oversimplified into, I mean, we saw the, um, the, 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 the banner which had all the refugees like in a line. And that mm. was, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a meme, isn't it? Essentially, it's a very, and I know we're kind of straying outside the topic of building a tribe, but I'm just fascinated at the moment by how using these very simple, very straightforward messages repeated can yeah. start to build awareness and can start to build a momentum in a group of people. And yeah. I don't think it feels like politics is kind of leading that at the moment. And I think particularly for small and medium sized yeah, businesses. Right. I mean, their political parties are exactly that, aren't they? In, yeah. in that respect, whether they've got a force for good or a purpose, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that one. But, um, but yeah. um, I suppose to your point, I mean, I have, I sometimes have clients who say, oh, I feel like we've said this phrase quite a lot now. You know, we've said this in our copy. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the point, you, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of what you do when it when it's brand building and earned media is you sort of want to throw enough at the wall and hope some of it sticks, doesn't it? And I think you do need to use those consistent phrases and you do need to 
find a, a, a little term that works for you and keep pushing it out there in all of your across all of your copy even though to you it feels really boring and you you've used it a number of times to the outside audience it, it that momentum and repetition really helps oh exactly i mean you look at uh you know it's, it's almost funny isn't it on uh you'll get a, like a, someone reviewing a politician's speech and there'll be a term like get brexit done and they'll say look how many times they say it and they say it just over and over again to the point where you're like this is ridiculous it's almost painful to watch and then they interview the people outside downing street on the day that you know conservatives are elected and they say why did you vote for them and they just repeat that term back get brexit you're like wow okay so it feels redundant but actually by the time you're getting bored of saying it, it's just starting to break through into your audience's consciousness. Yeah, I think that is, that's a classic thing, isn't it, with brands as well, that they start to get bored really quickly mm. with whatever it might be, what they stand for or their main message or their colours or their logo or something. And it's only really at that point that the it's starting to get traction and the, the customer, the consumer public is starting to go, okay, I recognize you now. And then suddenly go, oh, we're just going to change it all around because we're bored, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure someone at Coke is bored of the Coke truck by now. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about some campaigns that you've run and successes and failures. Um, mm -hmm. Not that we like to celebrate our failures necessarily, but um, has there been anything in your time in PR which you thought this is going to absolutely smash it. This is going to be a complete home run. Um, but it completely flopped. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so, reassuring. Not just me. You work in earned media. I mean, you can never second guess anything that's going to happen. Yeah. You have, like a brilliant campaign that's about to go out and then Kate and Will go and do something or Harry and <laughs> Meghan go off and fly a private jet and it just completely changes everything that you're going to be pushing out. Or, you know, you've got a lovely business business to business piece and Brexit gets announced, it, it, you know, the headlines, it, it, it's been a hard time for corporate mm. communications over the last couple of years because Brexit has just dominated. So yeah, there's always things like that. Um, I guess more a learning, I suppose, in that what I've really noticed over the last couple of years is that, or the last year really, is that where you used to have easy wins, um, like trade media covering new appointments, or um, new clients, things like that. It's just few and far between now. Right. And um, it's my job as a, a PR consultant to kind of say to my clients that they've really got to get a bit more cut through on the stories that we create for them because um, publications just don't want those stories anymore. Mm. Uh, one, because they're, you know, they're not that kind of, they're not that human story and they're not putting the audience at the forefront of the story because mm. it's, broadcasting but too all about them but two because a lot of the trade publications have canned their news sections now as well they're much more issues driven so some of the big publications too i'm not thinking like nationals now i'm thinking like the trade press mm. where they used to have those news sections they just don't use them so much anymore um and i think that's been a real learning so there's been a number of times where i've thought now this is probably going to do quite well in the trade press and it just hasn't and it's because the they're just not getting they're not they don't want that kind of news anymore um so it's been an interesting job to try and explain that to my clients when they want to talk about their new appointment or similar i mean 
I guess it's a double-edged sword. Do you, th do you think that's happening because the competition for attention is so much greater now that the trade publications are realising that the news page is so freaking boring, it's a complete waste of time? Yeah, I mean, they're looking at eyes on that page, aren't they? And they're seeing that no one's interested in it yeah. <laughs> because it is all broadcasting about how great this firm is and what they're doing. Mm. And no one wants to read about that. Whereas the issues-based articles, those top tips pieces, the listicles, whatever mm. they might be, they're getting loads of eyes on and people are staying on the page for longer. So why, as a publisher, would you want to have a page that no one really is looking at and no one's absorbing? Yeah. You know, you would can if you had that on your website or your client's website, you'd can it tomorrow, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Just, no one's looking at this page, so let's get rid of it or whatever you do with it. Yeah. They're exactly the same. It's it's one of the easiest traps to fall into, isn't it? I guess it's it comes back to being consumer focused. We'd be consumer focused in our in when we're designing a brand but we also need to be consumer focused when we're pitching to press but the consumer is actually the publication and what yeah. do they really want and it's not the news about the latest board appointment because no one aside from that person's family gives a shit yeah really. <laughs> and even they don't really care they'd rather read about brexit or coronavirus or something well yeah but as you can imagine you know that makes my job sometimes a bit difficult trying to tell that to you know founder of a company who wants to get their news out there so it's about trying to find other ways to get them in get get their story out there without being so obvious about the fact that it's a new appointment or similar yeah 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 they need to they need to get coronavirus and then coverage <laughs> then is guaranteed yeah, yeah you'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> um are there any the kind of flip side of that question is there anything that you've done where you thought no i don't know they really want to push this but i'm not sure it's going to work and it's ended up being a complete smash um yeah let's say that yeah i suppose um one thing that i've been working on doing quite a bit of for for myself um for for tribe pr but also for my clients is doing a number of what i what i guess i call crowdsourced pieces mm. where I kind of crowdsource a load of industry opinion together um, mash it all together and then use that for owned content on people's blogs but also earned media as well and sending it out to the media uh, sending it out to the press and um, the press seem to love it because it's not again it's not salesy it's not broadcasting about how great that person is lots and lots of good opinion um, everyone who gets involved in it loves it because they're particularly invested in the story themselves. Um, there's a link back to their website, so that's all good for them as well. Um, and then when it goes live, you know, you're getting tenfold the amount of shares on mm. the story because mm. they're all sharing it themselves. So those that I didn't think it was going to do quite so well, but I tried it for a client for a really boring um, predictions piece, like predictions of 2020. You know, one of those standard pieces, and um, and it just did so well. And then I've just been continuing to do it, and it it really does work very well. It does. Yeah. Yeah, sure. We use, um, for a long time, we've been on the, on the receipt, you know, the journal requests like Harrow and, and response source and stuff like that. And a lot for a long time, we've been pushing clients out through those to get bylines and stuff and, a, a, you know, like a, a quote and stuff. But now we've been realizing actually the real wins are when you're submitting those and getting the other people talking for exactly the reason you say, because then you've got 10 experts featured, they're all sharing the piece. And yeah, it's, it's much better, isn't it? Getting more eyes onto it. Yeah, yeah. They've definitely. Yeah. They've definitely worked better than I, I thought it was. And also, uh, when you've got uh, a particular client who's not that, who's a bit more nervous, I suppose, about 
writing or having their own opinion mm. um, then that works really well as well because they can they almost become the journalist they're like the mediator they can hide behind everyone else's opinion and still put out really nice content it's a bit more risk averse as well yeah love it love it okay some quick fire questions to finish so if you could ah, oh, i'm gonna ask i was gonna ask if you can only pick one marketing channel what would it be but i think you might say pr no i wouldn't actually you wouldn't okay what so, would you say just because it's a bit just a bit different yeah PR is a great thing to invest in, guys. Keep Obviously. keep investing in that. But um, if it was just one channel, I'd do. I, I'd look at LinkedIn. Mm. Like if you look at one particular thing, I think it's great. From a from a people by people kind of perspective, human channel, love LinkedIn. Yeah, I've been noticing a lot that content that you post on LinkedIn, like the half life of something on Instagram or Facebook, is a day max. But stuff on LinkedIn just sticks around forever, doesn't it? Yeah. It's got such a long life cycle. It's, yeah. you know, and you can, unlike all the algorithms of Facebook and everything else, you, you, you do stay around for a bit longer and it's just mm. really nice. Yeah, so yeah. Like cool. Love it. So um, next question, if you absolutely had to 10x tribe PR sales in the next year, but you had unlimited marketing budget, what's the first thing that comes to mind that you would do? just hire loads of good content creators, like written people who can do good writing and good rich content because like that's all Google really wants to see and that's the way my world's going. Yeah. So you put it all on your blog or you'd be trying to get a media for the throw up? Well, no, I'd be like I'd be using them for writing all the content for clients as well. But yeah, on, on my it. blog, I'll try and make sure that that gets a, yeah. a ranking. Yeah, love it, love it. Uh, I'm going to say that answer was SEO. Well, SEO PR is the future. It certainly is. It certainly is. Um, and then final question, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice on day one of starting Tribe PR, what would it be? Don't work for free. <laughs> That's good. I think when you set up, so many people say to you, oh, can you give me a little, and by the way, this just doesn't work because you can't do a little bit of PR. Can you give me, <laughs> give me a little bit of PR and I'll give you this, like a free so-and-so. Yeah. Like contra deals and working for free is a no-no value yourself from the beginning and start as you mean to go on love it holly thank you so much for joining us where can people find out more about you and of course tribe pr uh well you can have a look at my website www.tribepr.co.uk and then holly pither on all the usual social channels insta facebook linkedin etc awesome thank you so much holly Hope you found this video useful. And remember, if you enjoyed it, click the little like button. If you wanna check out more videos from Exposure Ninja, then don't forget to hit the subscribe button and that little bell icon, or leave us a comment if you've got any questions or suggestions of things that you'd like to see us cover in future. Don't forget, if you want some help with your digital marketing, then you can head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and request a free website and digital marketing review. What will happen here is we'll ask you a few questions about your website and your goals. And one of our team will then put together a 15 minute video where we'll show you how to improve your website's ranking, your traffic and your conversions. It's completely free of charge. I know, crazy, right? But danger, there is a chance that you'll become a client after seeing this review because it'll blow your socks off. I have to be honest, but don't let that put you off. Go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and I look forward to seeing you in the next video.